0: Well, good evening everybody. Good evening. It is Colossians chapter 3 where my Bible is open to and I want to invite you to get your Bible out and turn it to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to notice uh, one verse in Colossians the third chapter and actually we're really just going to look at really focus on three little words that are used in that verse. That's going to be our starting point. We'll just be in a number of different places in the Scriptures this evening so you get those Bibles fired up and ready to go. And as you're turning to Colossians 3, let me say how good it is to see everybody this evening. What a joy it is to get to be in your number. I trust that you've had a pleasant afternoon and that you've found ways uh, today to enjoy just the beauty of the day that the Lord has blessed us with. It feels like winter already, but uh, it's been a beautiful day nonetheless. And it's a treat to get to, to kind of bookend this Lord's Day with another hour of, of worship and glorifying God and edifying one another. In Colossians, the third chapter, I want to just get right to it tonight. In Colossians 3, we talked this morning about what it means to be the body of Christ. And this passage actually says some things along those very lines. In Colossians 3, and in verse 15, the Bible says there, Colossians 3, verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Notice this now. And be thankful. And be thankful. So, Thursday is Thanksgiving. Not too hard to figure out what Josh is going to preach on on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. With everybody kind of already talking about their, their plans for later this week, getting with their family and what they're going to be doing over the Thanksgiving holiday, this is a really great time for us to think about and to talk about being Thankful. In fact, in some ways, November 24th could not come quick enough because of all of the political turmoil and all the just the unrest that's been going on in our society and in the world around us. It'll just be a welcome blessing to for just, if nothing else, for just a few moments on Thursday to turn all the noise of all of that going on in the world, to turn all of that off and to do what Colossians 3.15 says, and that is to be thankful. Certainly don't want to be so busy stuffing my gullet full of turkey or my eyeballs full of football games on Thursday that I end up squandering this opportunity to be thankful. Especially since biblically, Thanksgiving is not just a once-a-year kind of event. Rather, biblically, Thanksgiving is an every hour of every day, all year long kind of event. Being thankful ought to be a regular fixture in the life of every child of God. Now, that's kind of the standard thing that gets said by, I would guess, just about every preacher on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. I'm guessing I've got lots of preaching comrades who said and emphasized that very point this morning or this evening. Having said that, I must tell you that I am not entirely thrilled with most of the sermons that I have preached on the subject of gratitude and thanksgiving. Because most of those sermons have been roughly the equivalent of a parent who nudges their child and says, Say thank you. Say it. Say thank you. Tell them thank you. Tell them thank you for what they did for you. And to be fair, there are plenty of places in Scripture in the New Testament where the Bible does that kind of thing and kind of pushes us in that way and admonishes us. Colossians 3.15 is one of those places where it just says, Be thankful. But you know what? We've all seen a child at a birthday party and they're tearing and ripping into presents and mom or dad has to come along and prompt them, You know, what do you say? What do you say? And then what does the child do? The child very kind of robotically stops what they're doing and says, thank you. And then what do they do? They go right back to ripping into the presents again until mom and dad prompts them to say it the next time. Which is why tonight what I want to do is I want to present a sermon that hopefully will be a whole lot more and amount to a whole lot more than just, what do you say? What do you say? Say thank you. I want to do more than that. Instead, this evening, I want to, I want to kind of drill down even deeper than those kinds of, kind of exterior sorts of things. We need to get down to the core. We need to get down to the heart. That's where real gratitude emanates from, isn't it? And so we need to be doing a little bit of working on our hearts. Tonight, I'm going to just approach this sermon with the assumption that you already know that you need to be thankful. Reading Colossians 3.15 ought to be sufficient to let you know you need to be thankful. Nobody here, I think, needs to really be convinced of that. What I want to do tonight is I want to offer up what I hope will be... Oh, man, it's giving away everything all at once. I want to offer up some very tangible, practical ideas that will help us in developing and building a grateful heart. Because I believe that when we do that, what will happen is we will build within us the character, a character that is thankful to God, not just for a few moments or a few days in late November, but a character and a heart that is thankful to God every day and always. Tonight I'm going to give you, as you can see, five. I guess I could just stop the sermon right here and we all just go home, but I do want to give you and give a little bit of explanation about these five suggestions. And maybe, maybe not everything on this list is going to resonate with you, but I hope there may be one or two or three of those things. If all five of these things resonate with you, great. But I hope there'll at least be something on this list that'll spark an interest in your life, that'll help you to be more thankful from the inside, from within. And let's just start that with that first idea there. And that is we need to start by defeating our sense of deservedness. If you will, let's just use our imaginations for a moment. What if? What if you could go to a stranger's doorstep and you knock on the door or you ring the doorbell and that person would come to the door, they would answer the door and they would then feel obliged to give you a chocolate bar. Wouldn't that be great? You should go knock on somebody's door and you just stand there and you just expect that when they get there, they're going to give you a chocolate bar and they do. And then you go down to the next house and you knock on the door and they come to the door and well then they give you maybe a Tootsie Roll Pop. And you just keep going down all the way down the street and you just keep knocking on doors and everybody just keeps bringing you candy. What would you be thinking? Hey, what? This is awesome! This is great. This is excellent. My lucky day is the greatest day I'm just going around people just giving me candy. Well, actually, you don't have to imagine that very hard. We actually do that already. We just did it about three weeks ago. It's called Halloween. It's trick-or-treat. And you know what's interesting about Halloween and trick-or-treat is that while that's going on, and as we're getting candy from really just very random strangers many times, Our reaction is not that big, woohoo, this is awesome. This is the greatest thing ever. This is so cool, people giving me candy. No, what's interesting about that is that we just expect. We just expect that people are going to give us candy. That's what they're supposed to do on trick-or-treat night. In fact, if you go to somebody's house and you ring the doorbell and they don't answer, what do we do? We get mad. We get angry. You bunch of stingy so-and-sos. What kind of people are you? I want my candy. Give me my candy. Turn your, turn your outside lights off. Don't give me some false hope that I'm gonna get some candy. But at Halloween, that's kinda I know That's how I was when I was a little kid. We just have this sense of deservedness and entitlement. I got all dressed up and I came to your doorstep. Give me a Reese's cup. Do you see though? Do you see how that kind of mentality and that kind of thinking, it ends up robbing us of the joy and the gratitude, the kind of attitude that says, Wow, this is amazing. This is so cool. People are giving me candy. They're doing that out of just... They decided to do that. They're going to give me some candy. That's that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. Instead, we're all hung up on what I'm supposed to get, and then we even get angry because I didn't get what I... I didn't get what I deserve. And the truth is, in our day and time and in our country, we have convinced ourselves that we just deserve a whole lot of stuff. Think about it. Just some examples. You have the right to an education. Our government will provide a public school system so that you can get the education that you deserve. Or, you know, if you're in an emergency medical situation, you can go to a hospital and they must, must provide medical uh, procedures and medical care for you. And of course, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We have these documents called the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, and those documents guarantee us all kinds of things. You can vote, and you can assemble, you can carry around a gun. There's just a whole host of things that we are allowed to do. And as a result, we have believed and we have told ourselves that those are our rights. We deserve it. We are entitled to those things. I want you to think now. Think about how that changes how we view the amazing blessings that we enjoy each day. We're not thinking about them so much in terms of being blessings. We're thinking about them in terms of those are my rights. Look with me in Matthew chapter 20, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus makes a a point here. He makes a connection about what it is that we believe in our hearts and what we say. There's a connection between the things that we believe and think in our hearts and then what comes out of our mouths. And since that connection exists, I believe that we can actually change what's in our hearts in some respects by thinking about how we talk and limiting the kinds of things that we say. In Matthew chapter 12, look in verse 34. In Matthew 12 and in verse 34, Jesus says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'm suggesting to you tonight that we can do ourselves a whole lot of good by changing how we talk. You know, what if we stop saying all those phrases that we hear so often? I want my rights. I deserve it. I'm entitled to my fair share. I need to get what's coming to me. You know, the truth is, many of the rights and the privileges that we enjoy in the United States of America, they are not exactly backed by the full faith and credit of God Almighty, are they? No, they are not. Those are privileges that are simply afforded to us by our civil government. You want to know what you deserve? You want to know what you really deserve? Romans 6.23 will tell you what you deserve. Romans 6.23 says that the wages, what you've earned, what you deserve, the wages of sin is death. You want to know what you deserve? You want to know what I deserve? I deserve to die because I'm a sinner. Because I have rebelled against God and did what I wanted to do instead of what He wanted me to do. And all too often, I'll admit to you, I get fixated and focused on the blessings that I think that I deserve, the blessings that come from living in this amazing country, and I forget about what it is at the end of the day that I truly, really deserve. I deserve spiritual death. God owes me not one thing. Would you find in your Bibles Daniel the ninth chapter? In Daniel chapter nine, I want to notice this, this prayer that Daniel prays. Prayer, of course, is a wonderful tool. It is one of the immediate outlets that we think of as a means of expressing our thanksgiving unto God. But I want you to notice that prayer can also be a wonderful tool for defeating this sense of entitlement and deservedness. In Daniel 9, Daniel is entreating the Lord because Daniel knows and remembers some things about Jeremiah's prophecies about how the Babylonian captivity, it was going to last for 70 years. And at the end of those 70 years, God had promised that the people would be able to return back to Jerusalem, back to Judea. Notice in this prayer that Daniel offers, he knows that that time is coming soon. Daniel chapter 9, verse 16. Daniel says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from the city of Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see your desolate, our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your name or because your city and your people are called by your name. Did you notice that there is not a word in that prayer where Daniel says, God, you owe us. You made promises 70 years ago, Lord, and now we're cashing in on those promises. Come on, God. Get on the stick, Lord. Do what you said because we deserve it. No, there's none of that here. There's none of that obnoxious name it and claim it kind of nonsense that's been popularized by so many of the television preachers these days. There's none of that in Daniel's prayer. There's none of that in the prayers of men like Nehemiah or of Ezra. Those are men who when they came before the Lord, they prayed with humility. They had a recognition that, Lord, we know what we deserve. We know what we really deserve. We deserve to be destroyed. We deserve to die because of our sins. And so what they did is they threw themselves before the throne of God and they begged. They pleaded for mercy, just like Daniel talks about in this prayer. They pleaded for God's loving kindness and for His grace. And that's why I'll just say again, that if we could maybe just do some work to replace some of that I deserve language and instead put in its place more of the language of humility, I believe that will go a long way in developing a heart that is grateful. Just like this second suggestion, I believe it is helpful secondly that we take a trip to the past. In Deuteronomy the 16th chapter, this is the verse that I'm looking for, In Deuteronomy chapter 16, Moses is talking here. And Moses understood that one of the keys to developing a grateful heart is to just do some looking back. That that can be good and that can be productive. In Deuteronomy 16, this is actually a a phrase and a concept that Moses repeats several times. But I'll just get it in Deuteronomy 16. Look in verse 12. Deuteronomy 16 verse 12. Moses says to the children of Israel, talking about when they're about to go into the promised land, He said, you shall remember, remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Moses says, when you're in the promised land, if you'll just take a little bit of time to think about where you used to be, that'll help you to be more grateful to God on a daily kind of basis. And in fact, that principle is carried over into the New Testament. Would you find 1 Timothy chapter 1? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul makes it clear that he practiced this very thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is verse 12. In 1 Timothy 1 and in verse 12, Paul says, I thank Him. Well, What do you thank Him for, Paul? I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. I receive mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul says that whenever I look in my rear view mirror, I am reminded of where I've been. And that then helps me to be thankful for where I am right now. Just, just think right now. Think about, think about where you were 20 years ago. 20 years ago. For some of you, 20 years may be a little bit too long to think back because maybe you would have been really, really small or maybe you weren't even born yet. So maybe you'll need to think back, you know, like 10 years or maybe 5 years. But for the majority of us, we can maybe go ahead and try to think back. Think back about 20 years. For me, I would have been, I would have been 16 years old. 20 years ago, if someone had come to you and they said, 20 years from now, This is what your life is going to look like. This is what you will own. This is the house that you'll be living in. This is the car that you'll be driving. This is where you'll work and what you'll do for a living. And this is how much you will earn in that job. This is the person that you'll be married to. These are the children that you're going to have. These are the grandchildren that you're going to have. This is the church. This is what the church is going to be like. That you're going to worship and labor with. How many of us, upon getting those details, how many of us would have said, Sign me up. I'm in right now. I want that. I'll take that guarantee right now. If that's what my life's going to be like in 20 years, I will take it. Most of us, I would suspect, I know not everybody, but most of us, most of us will have recognized that in 20 years' time, we have come a very long way. Maybe you've come a long way in even just a shorter period of time. Maybe you have come a long way in 10 years. Or five years. In fact, I'm going to guess that most of us, we could look back just in the last 11 months of 2016 and we could see that there has been some significant and some wonderful progress, some wonderful things that have happened in our lives. Yet many times we get so caught up in our our busy, busy lives and we get caught up in just the, the heat of this moment right now that we don't ever take some time to do a little bit of reflection to reflect back on all the great and wonderful things that God has done to bring us now to this present moment in life. In fact, many times what happens is, is when we think about the past, what we do is we just get all nostalgic for the past. Remember what Solomon said about that in the book of Ecclesiastes? In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, when I talk this evening about looking to the past, this is not what I'm talking about. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, look in verse 10. Solomon says, this is not wise to do this. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Understand very clearly that we're not talking about getting all all syrupy and wishing for the good old days. No. This is me looking to the past and comparing the past to my present. So that I can then have a sense of, wow, wow, God has really blessed me. God has really taken care of me during all of this time. The Lord has really done some incredible things in my life. I'm so, I'm so thankful. And I want to encourage you to do some of that looking back. And to do that looking back, not just thinking about how you've come and how you've been blessed in a spiritual sort of way over 20 years or however long, but to think especially about where you are now spiritually. Somebody came to me 20 years ago, and they said, Josh, in 20 years' time, you're going to be a preacher of the gospel. I laughed in their face. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not. No way. But I look back and I think, And I think in 20 years' time, from a spiritual standpoint, boy, the Lord sure has brought me a long, long way. And the more that I remember that, the more that I think about that, the more that helps develop within me a heart of gratitude. And as we're doing that remembering and that reflecting, I would suggest thirdly, that a grateful heart comes whenever we stop listening to our culture that is around us. Would you find Colossians again? In Colossians, this time in chapter 2, I hope that I will not burn you out on Colossians too quickly because we are going to be studying from the book of Colossians here uh, in just a couple of Wednesday nights. In Colossians chapter 2, read with me beginning in verse 7. Colossians 2 and in verse 7, Paul says there that we are to be rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul writes to these saints at Colossae, because he knows that these are people who are seeking to be different from the culture that is around them. And one of the ways that Paul says that they could do that was by being people who are characterized by gratitude, being people who are abounding, overflowing in thanksgiving. That will make you different, Paul says. You know what? I believe that's a lesson that we need to take to heart nearly 2,000 years later. Because here we are, nearly 2,000 years later, and things really have not changed very much at all. Our culture today, I would dare say, is just bereft of thanksgiving. Think about it. Think about what dominates our media. Think about what dominates the news. Whether you turn on the television news, or you get on the internet to find your news, or maybe you're listening to the news on the radio, or you get your news from the newspaper. doesn't matter which, which medium you're getting it from. What is most of that news? It's bad. It's negative. It's ugly. It's crime and violence and murder and war and protest and people saying this and this guy saying that and fussing and arguing all the time. It's just a constant cycle of bad news. Now, some of that, some of that is necessary. If some prisoner escapes from prison and he's running the streets, I want to know about that. If a tornado is coming through Pulaski County and it's heading in my direction, I want to know about that. That's bad news, but I want to know about that. But let's be honest, so much of what is reported, it's just negative and it's down and it's pessimistic and it's ugly. And you know what? As soon as those ugly stories get over with, it's just on to the next ugly story. It just seems like we're never going to have some good stories. Our culture is not all that interested in the things that are good and wholesome and uplifting. Nobody seems to really have much time for a positive spin on things. Something that might actually generate within our hearts some thankfulness. Look in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, here is a passage that we we read and cite often. And we, we talk about it kind of in broad, general terms, but let's get specific with this passage. Romans 12, look in verse 2. In Romans 12 and verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to suggest to you this evening that one of the ways that we can defeat conformity to the world is by being grateful. If the majority of folks in this world are not grateful, we can break the mold by being grateful. We're going to turn off. We're going to tune out everything that's going on in our culture. And you know what we're going to say? We're going to be the people who are bold enough to say, I am blessed. I don't care what they're reporting on the news. I don't care if Mr. News Man is shouting, The sky is falling! The sky is falling! It's terrible! Everything's terrible in this world! I'm not going to get by into that. I'm not listening to that garbage. I know that I am abundantly blessed. And so I'm not going to allow a relentlessly unhappy culture tell me otherwise. I'm going to look for the positive. I am going to be thankful for the good that is happening in my world and in my life. And I believe when we stop listening to all the noise out there, what we will have done is we will have freed up some precious space within our hearts where gratitude can dwell and thrive. Which would lead me, fourthly, to... Think about fasting. And no, I'm not talking about a fast from food because that would just be the cruelest thing to suggest on the week of Thanksgiving. Fasting from food? Are you kidding me? On Thanksgiving week? No. I want to suggest that we do a little fasting. And that is we need to take a fast from complaining. We've already talked a little bit about this idea of purging our mouth of the the I deserve language. I need to get what I'm supposed to get, what I've got coming to me. Well, you know what, what if we purged and did that same thing with all of our complaining? What if I decided, and you've got the freedom to just decide how you go about this, what if I decided to set aside a specific period of time, maybe just, maybe just one day, this day right here, and I've just decided I'm not going to complain at all about anything. A fast, a total fast from complaining. What would happen if I did that? Look in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, I I want to pull this verse in really quickly because I need you to know this really is not an optional thing. You really don't have a whole lot of options here. In Philippians chapter 2, look at what Paul says in verse 14. In Philippians 2 and in verse 14, Paul says just very forthrightly, he says, do all things without grumbling." Do all things without grumbling, okay? That's a tall order, but I'm going to try that. In fact, I'm going to try to be very intentional about that. I'm going to set aside this one whole day without the grumbles. Look in the book of Proverbs with me, in Proverbs 26. In Proverbs 26, here the wise man, he uses an an illustration of the wording here, and he's talking about gossip, And let's just read the verse. In Proverbs 26, look in verse 20. In Proverbs 26 and in verse 20, the wise man says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Well, how about we take the idea of that verse and we try it with complaining. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no complaining, ingratitude ceases. How about that? What if I just committed to not murmur, to not always voice and be so quick to, to let it out about how unhappy I am, how discontent I am with circumstances, to not get on Facebook and I just start posting my most recent grievance and aggravation to the world. Instead, I'm going to, for even just one day, I'm going to stop all of that. What would happen? What would be the result of that? Well, maybe first of all, what some of us would realize is maybe we would realize, you know what? I do an awful lot of complaining. Just kind of noticing that being absent from my daily life, I would really maybe be pricked in the heart. I'd kind of step on my own toes there. We kind of do, we're like the parrot. And we just repeat all the noise and all the just negative stuff that's in our world. We repeat all that bad stuff that we hear on the news. But you know what? If you decided for just one day that I'm not going to utter a single complaint, you may come to recognize, whoa. I've allowed that to get out of hand in my life. I have developed a bad habit there. But then furthermore, furthermore, we may come to realize just how much easier it is to actually spin things in a positive direction as we talk and as we go about our daily lives. Let me illustrate that for you from 2 Timothy 1. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul here is in a really rough situation. He's in jail. And a lot of people, on top of that, a lot of people have slandered him. A lot of people have turned away from Paul. And this is a situation where Paul could have done just some big-time griping. He could have. He could have complained big-time about what was going on. Instead, look in verse 16. 2 Timothy 1, verse 16. Paul says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service that he rendered at Ephesus. Just think about this. In a situation where Paul could have did some real major complaining, and in some ways, he may have even been justified to do some complaining here. Paul says, you know what? Even in this really wretched situation, something really good happened. Onesiphorus, This guy came along and he refreshed me. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for him and I'm thankful to God for him. Now let me ask you, can we do like Paul here? Even when stuff's going wrong and all kinds of stuff's falling down around us, could we do like Paul did? Sure we could. If we'll just put a stop to all the venom and all the unhappiness that just so easily rolls off of our tongue and out into the public airways, And instead, we're going to replace all that negative talk with something more positive to say. What will happen is, not only will we curb our complaining, but what we will have is we will have developed a heart that is looking for opportunities to be grateful. And that's what we're shooting for in this entire lesson. Developing a heart that is always looking for opportunities to be grateful unto God. All of that then leads me to this final idea this evening where I will say something that probably will be just a big, you know, well, duh kind of moment. But you know, I think that all of us, all of us, we want to do better than to be like the kid at the birthday party who has to say, thank you, and we're doing it out of a mere sense of, of duty and obligation. I have to do this. I have to say thank you to God in order to you know kind of be in His good graces. The Lord deserves better than that, and I hope that we recognize that, that He deserves better than that. In fact, I would suggest to you that that kind of mechanical, forced kind of thanking God, if that's, if that's all that you're doing, you're just kind of doing it merely it's, it's rote and it's robotic, you're not going to be able to keep that up for very long. That's just not going to be very lasting which is why we need to do this fifth thing. And that is, we need to actually take the time to acknowledge God's goodness. We will never have a heart that is truly grateful if we don't actually practice this gratitude thing. Look at the book of Ecclesiastes again, this time in chapter 5. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon makes this point uh, actually several times in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to get Ecclesiastes 5.19 though. In Ecclesiastes 5.19, Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 5.19, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. Is is there anybody here that that does not apply to? Lord giving you wealth, possessions, and the power to enjoy them. All right and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil, what's this? this is the gift of God. This is the gift of God. One fellow said, he said, it's not how much we have that makes us happy, but how much we enjoy what we have that makes us happy. And I think there's something to that. Whenever we come to a place, a moment in our lives, where we can actually just hit the pause button, and we can say, you know what? This right here, this is an Ecclesiastes 5.19 moment. This is. God has gifted me with wealth, possessions, or you could add just a whole bunch of other stuff to that list there. And not only that, but God has given me the opportunity and the power, verse 19 says, to enjoy those things. When we stop and we actually acknowledge to God, let Him know that this is good, You have blessed me right here in this moment, Lord. And I am thankful for that. When we do that, aren't those the real moments that draw us closer to the heart of God? And in turn, aren't those the moments that develop within us this heart and this attitude of gratitude? In that acknowledgement, whether I just actually voice the words out loud or whether I say it in my heart and the Lord is able to hear the words of my heart, Make no mistake, God is pleased and God is receiving exactly what He deserves and that is our heartfelt thanksgiving. One final verse this evening. It's in 1 Chronicles. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, boy, we've just been on a journey tonight, all kinds of different places in the Bible. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, we read here of the account of the ark of God being returned to its rightful place. And David, who is the king at this time, he organizes and is orchestrating a a great celebration for all of this taking place here. I want you to notice, amongst the preparations that David makes, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 7 says, 1 Chronicles 16, 7, Then on that day, David first appointed, first appointed, that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. What follows in the next 29 or 30 verses of this chapter is a wonderful song of thanksgiving. And that song and all of the other events that transpired on that special day, it was not about David, you know, scolding all the people into saying thank you. Say it. You better say it. Tell God thank you. No. What that was, was that was a group of people who had grateful hearts. And they then had the opportunity to pour their heart out to the Lord. You see, it's about the heart. And when we get our heart right, then thanksgiving is just sure to follow. It's just going to flow out of it. And on Thursday, what we need is not somebody shouting at us and scolding us, you need to be thankful, make sure you thank God today. No. No. What we need is we need a renovation of the heart. We need a change of heart. And we need that not just on Thursday. We need that every day. Which is why I hope we'll be able to make use of these biblical ideas so that instead of being thankful merely out of a sense of compulsion, I'm going to be thankful to the Lord from within. That's what it means to have a grateful heart. Now, if you're using a songbook, you need to be getting it out right now and turning it to the song that's been selected. As we extend the invitation of Jesus Christ, it is very appropriate that we think about this idea of thanksgiving and thank, uh, being thankful and gratitude because of all of the things that we need to be thankful for. And that is a long, long list. At the very top of that list is the fact that God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is what the invitation of the Lord is all about. An opportunity to believe in Jesus, to accept His gracious offer, to render obedience unto Him, so that we can be saved, not perish. Is there anything that we ought to be more thankful for than that? I'll tell you, the only way that you can be thankful for that gift and I mean, and really mean it. You might be able to say, yeah, I'm thankful that God did that. I am. I'm so thankful that God sent Jesus. Well, that's a good start. It's good to say that. But the only way you can really show your gratitude for the Lord is by submitting your will to His. Accepting the invitation. If you spurn the invitation, then, then you're not really thankful, regardless of what you say and regardless of what you tell others. You can be thankful tonight, though. Truly thankful by surrendering to Jesus in baptism, to have your sins washed away, and to come up out of that water something entirely new. A Christian, one of God's children. Can we help you to do that? Brother or sister, it may very well be that there is sin in your life, and it needs to be gotten out. If you need to repent, and particularly if you need to confess things to your brothers and sisters, if you need the encouragement of your brothers and sisters, if you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters, if you need us to help you to make that repentance stick, then this invitation is for you as well. And the wonderful news is is that God will forgive if we will repent and come to Him humility and with the heart that just seeks to do His will. If there's anybody here this evening that is subject to the invitation of the Lord, we're thankful that the Lord has spared your life and He spared this world down to this present moment. Now it's your turn to be thankful to Him for that very same thing. Be thankful by rendering your obedience unto Him. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.